Okay, so we're going to continue in worship, like I said, in Romans chapter 11, as we continue our series in Romans 9.1.1. So keep it open to Romans 11, uh, verse 11, all the way to verse 16. Can you believe it? There's 204 more days until Christmas. Anyone excited? Great, because I'm not. Because I realize, as my children say, I'm the Grinch. I don't have the spirit of Christmas in me. You know, I would love it, but I don't have it. I already dread. There's things I dread about Christmas already. I'm planning it. I'm thinking about it. I dread for that aunt to come along, the really elderly, lovely, beautiful aunt, to come into my house, to squeeze my cheeks, and as she kisses me, I can feel her whiskers on my cheeks. I'm not looking forward to preparing for the meal because that means I have to go through my closet and find my extra stretchy pants because I have to, because of, with all the food that's going to be consumed, in particular, that thousand pound turkey that's placed in front of you. But the actual highlight of Christmas is actually the day after. The reason why it's the day after, the highlight is because of the leftover turkey. The leftover turkey is the key. So when my wife, Laura, takes leftover turkey and makes me a sandwich to take to work, a sandwich with all its dripping with gravy, and it's soaked and it's marinated, the, the meat just tastes better the day after, does it not? What we call leftovers becomes something better than what was previously imagined for it. And that's actually the point of this text of the passage. So there are three points to my message this morning, and the three points are this. First is rejection to exception. Second is not self-glorification, but evangelization. And the third is holy roots equal holy fruits, okay? So rejection to exception, not self-glorification, but evangelization. And holy fruits equal ho- holy roots equal holy fruits. Okay, so up to this point, up to this point, the Apostle Paul, from the beginning of chapter nine to where we first, where we originally started, he used these sort of individual names to make his case. Okay, so in chapter nine, he's just thrown at you name, name after name. He's like using these names as like a witness to a court case. He goes, "Look, I got witnesses to prove my case." And the names that Paul has referred to so far, I'll list them out for us, which are Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, Moses, Isaiah, Elijah, and David. So from chapter 9, sweeping over the way to here, he's listed all these names as witnesses. What Paul is doing now here, when we get to this section, what he's doing is moving from the micro to now the macro, okay? He's, he's like doing... In the beginning, small brushstrokes, and now big, broad brushstrokes. He's moving from individuals now to an entire nation as a whole. So in verses 11 to 12, I'm going to read them again. So let's go together in Romans 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 11 to 12, with my first point, rejection to uh, exception. Pastor Brody reminded me, exception is not a word. I don't care. Because I, because it rhymes. That's all I care about. <laughs> so Romans eleven, 
11, 12, and it says this, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Okay, so the apostle is now asking a follow-up question in verse 11. The question that he originally asked actually happens in verse 1, in 11.1, in 11, which is, the question was, has God rejected Israel as a nation? So Pastor Brody two Sundays ago showed us that God had not given up on Israel. So the question that the Apostle Paul will work through now in this verse, in this section, is Israel's rejection. Is their rejection temporary or complete? Is it final? Is it temporary or is it complete? Look, it's like this way. Think about it this way. It's like, uh, it's like me asking my wife, Laura, to marry me. Laura can reply by saying, not now. Or she will say, never in a million years. So you're saying there's a chance. For those who know, you know. There are two key pronouns that I want you, you and I to notice. Two key pronouns I encourage you in your Bibles to underline, to highlight. And the two key pronouns are they and theirs. Because it's said multiple times in only a few verses, over and over and over again, they and theirs. Every time you see these pronouns in, the, in this Bible passage, you can safely assume that Paul is actually referring to the Jews, to the nation, the nation of Israel. But then there are another two key words I want you to notice in the very first verse, in verse 11. And these words, I would still encourage you in your Bibles to underline and to highlight, and the two key words are stumble and fall. Because there's a difference between stumbling and falling, is there not? Look, you can stumble or trip, but then gather yourself and not fall, correct? You can stumble and trip, but eventually fall. But you can fall, but then get back up, or you can fall and not get back up. So which scenario then is Israel in? Paul answers this concern right away by saying, hey, look, here's the answer, but then in the strongest term in the Greek, in the strongest language that Paul can think up, he says in the translation is no way, absolutely not. So according to the Bible, according to Paul, the nation of Israel is stumbling but has not yet completely fallen. But the story does not end there. God takes a very different direction in order to get to the original destination planned. Okay, He takes like a rerouting. Um, let me put it to you this way. Two years ago, my wife Laura and I decided to drive to Calgary because that's her, where she was born and raised. That's where her family is. A road trip that usually takes, it usually takes 10 hours. Depends how fast I'm going. Legally, but this trip, this trip that we took two years ago, took about 13 hours. Why? Before going on the trip, we looked at the, all the maps all the, uh, and, and online and Google Maps and all that. We knew that there was a major 
roadblock or a major road construction at the area of Golden. And so part of the highway at Golden was being repaired. So all traffic was actually redirected through Invermere. And it was mostly through residential areas. If you've ever driven through Invermere, you're going about 60 kilometers per hour the whole way through. So I couldn't sort of speed up to 100 k's. And so we, we did end up making it to Calgary, but it took a lot longer. The point I'm making is this. God knew that there would be a detour. It is not a mistake. But he purposefully chose this direction to get to his ultimate destination. He rerouted. What Paul is referring to is that salvation first, at the start of the journey, it first starts with the Jew, with the Jews themselves as a nation. And this is something that the Bible supports, but also Jesus also also talks about. See, in John chapter 4, this is where Jesus stops at a well, and he talks to a Samaritan woman. He has a conversation with her, and he says, in John chapter 4, verse 22, he tells this woman, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. See, that's God's plan to bring salvation to the world. But Paul tells us there's, there's sort of a, a, a roadblock, a, a detour, as I've said. Why? The text here tells us that because of Israel's trespass. That's what the Bible tells us. What we are being told here is that Israel, their trespass is their rejection of the Messiah. Their rejection of Jesus. So the question now for us to ask is, how has Israel rejected Jesus? The first thing we remember at this point is that all the first Christians here in the Bible, all the first Christians were Jewish converts. This means that when Paul refers to Israel, he knows this fact. He knows that all Jewish converts, but he's referring now to the entire nation of Israel. Okay, so we're told in Acts chapter 13 that Paul and Barnabas, okay, his partner in crime to preach that Jesus is the promised Messiah for the Jews in Antioch, that Jesus is the only one who can forgive them for their sins and reconcile them back to Yahweh, because that's what the Jews were waiting for. So in Acts 13, 48 to 50, it says this, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Okay, so here you see very quickly, we read that the the message of the gospel is being preached by Paul and Barnabas, but it's being rejected by the Jews. So Paul and Barnabas were then reroute, and now they head, we are told, to Iconium, which occurs in Acts 14, verses 2 to 5. And it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them once again, the message is being preached, then it's being rejected by the Jewish nation, and Paul and Barnabas 
reroute and then go to Derby in Thessalonica, which then occurs in Acts 17, verse 5. And it says this. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Once again, we read the gospel is being preached to the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation is rejecting and then Paul and now Silas, his new partner in crime, they reroute and go to Berea. Acts 17, 13, it says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. They followed, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Once again, we read the message of the gospel was preached. It's rejected by the Jewish nation. And then Paul reroutes and then goes to Athens. In Acts 19, verses 8 to 10, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that is, of Christians, before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Once again, the message of the gospel was preached, the Jews reject, he reroutes. But this time, when he reroutes, he goes back to Macedonia. So throughout the years, God has used Paul to preach his, this message with grace. And then when he's gone through it all, God sends him back again. My daughters uh, are becoming a little too clever for their own good. They're only seven and five, but they've worked out a system to get to me. For some reason, I'm the weakest link in the family. When they're invited to a sleepover, whether they're here at church, that they, you know, from, some, from the friends they made at church or at school, my eldest child will come to me with her big, beautiful eyes and ask me, Daddy, can I go to a sleepover? I remain strong in those moments and confidently say, no. Five minutes go by, my youngest child will come to me and say, Daddy, I love you. Can I go to a sleepover? I remain steadfast and say, no. Five minutes after that, both children come to me and they'll come and ask, and it's a no. If that doesn't work, then they bring the friend, they invited them, and all three of them will come and ask, can we sleep over, and I say no. Last resort is the three kids then bring the parent of that child, and all of them are against me. But I just enjoy saying no. <laughs> Look, Israel's trespass, their rejection their consistent no to the message of Jesus has now been turned into a yes to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish, to people like you and me that are here today. We're here because the message of Jesus has been preached to us. See, verse 12 has a word that it is repeated twice, and that word is the word riches. Because of the Jewish rejection, because the nation of Israel has rejected their Messiah, Paul is saying that the, the world, the Gentiles, they are the ones who now receive these riches. But, 
He reminds us, but if some Jews do accept Jesus as the Messiah and share those riches as well with the Gentiles, Paul then states that the riches we should share together, if we share with the Jews and also with us, it's even better that we share it together. He's saying we should celebrate that we have riches in Jesus. So church, let's celebrate that we have these riches here today. This now leads me to my second point, which is not self-glorification, but evangelization. See, we now move to the next two verses, which is Romans 11, verses 13 and 14. It says this. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. See, the first two verses were focused on the state of the Jewish people as a whole nation. But now Paul turns his attention to the Christians in Rome. Okay? The apostle Paul reminds them and us today that God used him, that is Paul, to preach the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. This is huge. This is a massive act of grace on God's part. Okay, what we need to remember is this. We have to remember that both Jesus and Paul, who pens this letter, are both Jews. They were born into a Jewish family. They were circumcised as Jews in keeping with the law. They both would have had their Jewish bar mitzvahs, and they both would have worshipped in the Jewish synagogue. They were Jews, pure. God had historically used a Jew to save Jews. But there were odd times in the Old Testament when God used a Jew to go and save Gentiles. The most famous of all these stories in the Old Testament story, uh, God does and is recorded in the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, if you don't know it, it is recorded that God sends Jonah to a nation called Nineveh. But Nineveh is a Gentile nation, non-Jewish He's encouraged to go over there, go to Nineveh by boat, preach the gospel, but Jonah actually refuses. He said, not, not going. And he actually runs away. We are told he runs away, gets on a ship, and goes in the opposite direction of where Nineveh is. The story goes that he ends up getting swallowed by a big fish. That's the part of the story I call Sushi's Revenge. You see, Jonah, this is what he knew. He knew that God is so gracious to reach the, the, the nation of Nineveh because he knew if I go over there to preach in Nineveh, this Gentile nation, I know that God, Yahweh, the God of the Jews, is so gracious that he would save them. But that's not what I want, but I know he would do it, so I'm going to go the opposite direction. Jonah doesn't get what he wants and ends up doing it, and the people of Nineveh are actually saved. Going back to Paul, he's reminding his readers that God had sent him, him, a Jew to save Gentiles and not a Gentile to save Gentiles. That was part of God's big plan of salvation. Look, there are many reasons why I love our church, Willingdon, but one of the major reasons 
are the people who came before me. This church that we call Willingdon Church began over a, little, a little over 60 years ago by German-speaking Mennonites. From the Apostle Paul to German-speaking Mennonites, and now here we are. This is all an act of divine grace of God. This is part of the reason why he talks about magnifying his ministry. Paul is not saying, "Look, hey, look at me. Look at me and look what I've done for the church. That's not Paul's point. Let me put it to you this way. Some of you might think that being a pastor makes you perfect and holy. Or somehow God only calls the perfect Christians to do his work. Let me remind you. I first ran away from home at 12. I first got arrested at 13. I first went to jail at 14. I first tried heroin at 15. I first became a heroin dealer at 16. And I first went to prison at 18. In the world's eyes, I'm the least qualified. I shouldn't be up here preaching the gospel of Jesus to you, but just like the Apostle Paul, God will keep using the weak to shame the strong. Paul knows he does not deserve to be the messenger of the Gentiles because of who he is. Paul knows he hated the church. Paul knows he was the one killing and approving of all the killings of the Christians in his time. That's why he's magnifying his ministry. That's why he's saying, I magnify my ministry. Paul is saying that God is using him, an insignificant, small, weak man, a murdering man to save the Gentiles. That's what he's saying. Paul is saying, when you look at me, what you really need to see is God's grace in my life. That's what Paul is magnifying. Paul is saying, hey, when you look at me, I'm small, but when you look at me, it makes him look big. Willing the church, I know, I know, believe me, I know that many of you in this room feel and think that you're small and weak and unworthy and untalented. You're dead wrong. Because the same Jesus that created the heavens and the earth, he's gifted each and every one of you. Each and every one. And for others on the opposite end, for others who feel and think that you're big and strong, remember that that same Jesus gets down on his knees and washes his disciples' feet as Jesus humbled himself, allow him to humble you by actually serving others. Because that will humble you, I promise. Hey, if you don't know where to serve, ask. If you don't want to serve alone, serve with someone. But make it about Jesus by serving Jesus. So Paul moves away from self-glorification now to evangelization. There is a word in verse 14 that Paul has already used back in verse 11, and that is the word jealous. He's used it twice now. Jealous. Isn't it an interesting term to use when it comes to evangelism? That's not the word I would use, but that's the word Paul uses. Look, there is such a thing as good jealousy and bad jealousy, okay? There's good jealousy and there's bad jealousy. 
Let me explain it for us. There's good jealousy or what we would call protective jealousy. Let's think about my kids again. My kids have recently told Laura, my wife, they don't know that I know, but my wife tells me. They started to tell my wife, Mommy, there are some really cute boys at school. <laughs> but, wait, 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 that can't be right. I'm the only cute boy they know. <laughs> if anything, I'm the cutest boy they know. See, I get that protective jealousy in me, not because I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not concerned about them getting married and liking boys, they're, they're children. What I'm actually scared of as a father is these boys could break my daughter's hearts. That's why I want to protect them. That's good jealousy. But if those boys do break their hearts, I have to, there's, there's just trouble. Okay, let's just put it that way. Then you have bad jealousy, or what we call possessive jealousy. This will be like banning Laura, my wife, from, t from talking to any man, ever. So out of, my, out of my insecurity and my distrust of her and of all men, I keep her at home, I lock the door, and I say, you can't talk to any man, ever. That's bad. That's possessive. So you go, good jealousy and bad jealousy. Historically speaking, Christians have not done a good job of making Jews jealous. If you want to be really honest, historically speaking, we have done the very opposite. Christians have made Jews enemies. I've even personally heard with my own ears as a pastor for over 20 years now, I've heard Christians say, those Jews, but they're Jesus killers or when they look at the plight of Jews, Christians, some Christians will say, oh, but they get what they deserve. So we treat them with contempt. This is something Christians should and need to repent of. But if God knows this, if God knows that his own people, his chosen people are rejecting him, him, and yet he still pursues them, what are we to say? Let God be God. Let God pursue his people. But we are strongly encouraged, we are strongly encouraged here to make the Jews jealous. Okay, that's what Paul's saying. But the question now is also to be jealous of what? Uh, recently, I was with our children's pastor, Pastor Jono. Jono and Emmy invited Laura and I over. Uh, he's only allowing me to tell this story if I plug his ministry and say he needs volunteers. So we need volunteers for the, not just for the summer, but all throughout our children's ministry. Um, so I was at his house with his wife, Emmy and Laura, and they started showing us the outside of their house, backyard, front yard. But we get to this point where in the front of the house, they have a balcony. And at their balcony, we're, we're sort of leaning on the balcony, and then we look over to their neighbor's backyard. And their neighbor's backyard, there's no other word, there's no other way to put it. It was like spectacular. It was like beautiful, immaculate. I suspect that the guy with that backyard, he was cutting his grass with scissors <laughs> on his hands and knees. What a waste of time, but anyway. 
And I sort of, then I looked, <laughs> I looked at Jono, and I looked at his backyard, I was like, yeah. And then John was like, I know, I know. But church, leave the man alone. He's got four children under the age of seven. Just be happy he's alive. <laughs> the point here is this. Paul wanted Christians to live in a way that would make the Jews peer over the fence and then say, ooh, I want the life just like that one. Paul wanted the Jews to look over the, to peer over the fence and look at the way that Christians love their Messiah, the way that Christians love each other. He wanted them to look and to see how gracious Christians were, how forgiving they were, how much joy they had in their life, to look at how Christians had, had this hope into the future. He wanted Jews to peer over the fence and look at how Christians would worship their God with their heads, with their hearts, with their hands. He wanted the Jews to look at Christians, to peer over the fence and see Christians in relationship with God and with each other and say, hey, if that's what living with God looks like, I want that. This now leads me to my last and final point. The third is, holy roots equal to holy fruits. In Romans eleven fifteen to 16, it says, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but from life from the dead? If the dough are ordered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, so there are two rejections going on here when you read that text. Two rejections. There's the first rejection of there is the Jews' rejection of God. And in the Greek, the word rejection is translated as like an unbelief or to, to sort of to throw away. The Jews have rejected Jesus, but the second part of this rejection is God's temporary and strategic rejection of them. He's going around to the Gentiles. He's rerouting. But when the rejection ends, this is Paul's point, but when the rejection ends, how amazing will it be? It'd be like cats and dogs living together. They're no longer enemies but friends. See, all throughout history, God has always, always, he has always saved a remnant of Israel to himself and for himself. That's a promise he's, he's kept. He's never broken it and will never break that promise. That he will always save a remnant for himself. Even today, if you were to go online and, and look up Jews for Jesus or one for Israel, there's a remnant. He's still saving Jews today. And that's something we should rejoice in. We should rejoice that in what God has done, is doing, and will do. Because from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, we are told that Adam, the first, disobeyed and sinned against God. When Adam sinned, Adam had no idea how far-reaching the consequences of his sin would be. 
Adam had no idea that God would pick a tiny nation to save the world. God, Adam had no idea that that tiny nation would turn into a mighty nation. Adam had no idea that the mighty nation would trust then in their might and not in their God. Adam had no idea that this nation would reject the God who chose them from the start. But one thing Adam did know. Before getting banished out of the Garden of Eden, before walking away from the presence of God, God told him before he left. God told Adam, in your seed, somewhere far down the generational line, a son of Adam would crush sin and death and would bring salvation to the nations. See, God had a plan before the creation of the heavens and the earth. And that plan was to send his one and only son to a world that would reject him. Just to show them all that I don't reject you and I will prove it by sending my son. I will kill him. He will die on a cross for your sins and I will prove that it all worked that the plan came perfectly together because that son of mine that is dead, he will rise from the dead. Plan complete. If this is God's holy plan, then he can only produce holy fruit. For those who believe in the plan, that plan is Jesus. You see, at the start of my sermon, I asked the question, which scenario is the nation of Israel in? And the answer remains the same. They have stumbled, but God has saved, God is saving, and God will save a Jewish remnant for himself and to himself because that is what he has promised his chosen people. I want to conclude with this story. Uh, My kids were homeschooled, but now they're in public school. But don't worry. My kids are still socially awkward. My youngest daughter, Aubrey, on her first day of school this year, it was heartbreaking for me as a father because she didn't want to go. Aubrey was crying all the way to the school when we drove, crying all the way when we walked to the classroom. When we got there, she was holding onto my leg like this and she was crying, screaming tight. She wouldn't let go. We tried everything, the teacher came over, the wonderful kindergarten teacher came over to her to console her, but she refused, absolutely refused. All I could do was bend down and look her in the eye and I'll tell her, Aubrey, daddy promises that at the end of the day, I will be right here when you get out. Finally, after some time, Aubrey eventually went to class. And the truth is, I don't know how the day went. I don't know if it was a good day. I don't know if it was a bad day. And that was like every day for the whole week. I didn't know if she made friends or if she sat alone. I didn't know who she played with or if she just played alone. But the one thing she needed to know was that her father would keep his promise that when the day ended, whether it was a good day or a bad day, at the end of the day, her father would be there. as God the Father has promised to save us. And that means we have nothing to fear. Because that same promise he tells us, hey, when the day ends, I'll be right here.
I promise I'll be right here. He has made that promise to the remnant of Israel, but he's also made that promise to you and to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. You know, your ways are not our ways. And your ways so many times are so mysterious. And they don't make sense. And sometimes they can upset us or but Jesus, we trust in the plan. We trust in your promises. We've seen you keep promises before. We're seeing you fulfill promises today. But we look forward to the ultimate promise. The promise of being with you when you return and being with you for all eternity. But Joy, help us, Jesus, help us with rejoicing, not just for each other, but as you are slowly saving your people, your chosen people, Israel, to the Jews all across the world, what a meal it will be when we share in your table to see what you would do. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you are the promise keeper. And when the day is done, we will see you. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.